Well, it's great to be back with you for another week as we look at the book of Chronicles. And I want to start today by thinking about the difference between two words, the words what and how. What and how. And there's actually a fair bit of difference between those words. And we often hear it if you listen to the radio or you listen to politicians speaking or churches discussing things. We often know what needs to be done, but where we often disagree is how it's to be done. So I'll use an example that uh, I'm sure most people in Hobart are aware of. At around uh, peak hour time in Hobart, there's a lot of traffic going through town and everything can just chock right up and it can block right out to Kingston and, and all out to the airport. And so we know what needs to be done. We need to fix the traffic flow. But the question that then needs to be asked is how? How Everybody almost knows the what. The question is the how, and we really don't have an answer to the how at this stage uh, for, for that, that traffic situation. But you, we could say that about jobs. You hear politicians being interviewed, and they might be the opposition, and they'll say, the government needs to make more jobs. They need to make more jobs. And yes, we, we know that. The question is, if it's a good journalist, they'll say, well, how should they be doing it? And very often that's what they just say, well, they need to be making more jobs. And so you need, you need to know the difference between what and how. Now, as a church, as Christians, what are we meant to be doing as, as a church? What are we meant to be doing? Well, we're meant to be God's people in this world testifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question also comes for us, how are we going to do that? And we, we heard earlier today about the, the carol service that you're doing and, and the way that you're running church here. There's, a, there's the how question, isn't there? Now, it, it may be that you're, you're not a Christian. You're, you're visiting today. I don't know everyone here today. And, and I want to say that there's, there's a what and a how question for you as well. And, and that what question is, is where do you stand with God? You know, who is God in your life? And, but, but the how question is, well, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to sort this out? And so today, as we look in Chronicles, we're going to be looking at the how for the nation of Israel, how they're going to bring about and do what they're meant to do. Because last week... When we looked at chapters 1 to 9, which was that big list of genealogies you may remember, it was all about what or who Israel is, what the nation of Israel is. And we saw that the Jews had come back from exile, back from being under God's judgment, and they were now back in the land that God had given them. And we were reminded that from one nation, God had made all nations of men, and he'd chosen the nation of Israel, to be his special nation, to represent him in the world. So that that's what Israel was. And that's what we saw last week. But as we go into Chronicles, and we're now going to go from chapters uh, 10 to 29. So we're doing a big chunk today. I'm just going to give an overview of it. As we, as we look at these, the, these next sort of 20-odd um, chapters... We're going to see how 
Israel's going to do this. We know that the nation of Israel is meant to be God's nation in this world, God's uh, giving God's witness and testimony to the world, God's holy people, a holy priesthood. But how are they going to do that? And that's what we're looking at today as we consider these chapters. And, uh, and as I said, we're going to go through 20 chapters. So please have your Bible open with me and we're going to be looking at, uh, uh, and we're going to skate across and hopefully I'll give you a, a good picture as to, uh, to how they are meant to be doing this. Well, let's begin with chapter 10 with Saul. So we've gone from all the genealogies now to the, the history of Israel's first two kings. And this is what the nation of Israel needs to know if they're to know how to be God's people. And so we see with Saul begins, uh, we, we have a Saul who was Israel's first king and we have his final moments as he dies in battle. And it finishes in verses 13 and 14, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Now you see, Saul was meant to be the shepherd of God's people because that's the role that our leaders have in our community. They're meant to be our shepherds. They're meant to guide the people in the right way to go. And Saul was this king and he was meant to be a shepherd of God's people and he was meant to guide them in God's way. But what are we told here? He didn't listen to the word of God. He had prophets around him. He had the scriptures before him. But yet he didn't listen to the word of God. And instead we're told that he turned to mediums. He turned to the occult for his guidance. He's got the truth of God's word before him. He's got God's word before him. And instead, he turns to the occult. He's, he turns to, in this case, it was a witch that he turns to for guidance. Now, that's not how God's people, God's leaders are supposed to be. The king of God's people, and Saul was anointed. Remember that word anointed means the word Messiah. He was the Messiah of God's people, and yet he's turned away from God's words. Now, we all sin in many ways, but if you are a leader of God's people and you turn them away from God's word, then that's a really serious sin to commit. That is right up there. When you've got a role of a role of responsibility within God's people and you're not clear that the word of God is meant to be guiding how you lead God's people. If you're not clear on that, well, then you're just like Saul and Saul was rejected. He wasn't clear that God is the God who speaks and he leads his people through his word. We see this, don't we, in, um, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul speaks to the, the, the trainee, his disciple, who's a church leader, a man called Timothy, and he says, do your best to present yourself as one approved who correctly handles the word of truth. That's really the basis of Christian leadership is that you've got to be clear on, on a few things, your godliness of life, but you've got to be clear that the scriptures are to 
be how you shepherd and guide God's people. But Saul wasn't like that. And so we read that God handed the kingdom over to David. So let's read about David now. David, look at chapter 11, verse 3. When all the elders of Israel had come to David at Hebron, uh, he made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David, that is, that's the word Messiah again. They anointed him king over Israel as the Lord had promised through Samuel. Samuel was a prophet who told about uh, David being this king. And so David now takes over from Saul. And what does uh, David do? Well, we're told certain things about David in the book of Chronicles, and we're going to skate through these now quickly. The first thing he does is, have a look in chapter 11, verse 4, and we have this in our reading. David and all the Israelites marched to Jerusalem. That is Jebus. The Jebusites uh, live there. David said, you will, uh, they said to David, you will, never, sorry, you will not get in here. Nevertheless, David captured Zion the city of David. So the first thing that David does that we read about here is that he makes Jerusalem the capital for the nation of Israel. He makes Jerusalem the center. And that's why when you read most of the Bible, it's often talking about Jerusalem. You know, by the, the waters of Babylon, we hang our harps and we remembered Zion, Jerusalem, and how we lost it. You know, you can go from from this time with David, you can go right through to the end of the Bible in, in the book of Revelation. And what is it? It's a new Jerusalem coming down. So this important center of Jerusalem, this importance of Jerusalem begins with David. So the Messiah King, he establishes Jerusalem. He brings about the capital for God's people. We read in chapter 11 a bit further on that the soldiers from all over Israel and possibly the other nations come and serve as soldiers for David. We read about soldiers um, uh, coming from other countries. They may have been Jews who came from there. It's a little hard to know exactly. But you've got an army that come around and establish David as king. Um, as we read in chapter, uh, uh, we read again in chapter 12, verse 38, that all of Israel agrees that David is to be their king. And so David is established militarily. He's established the capital of Israel, of Israel, Jerusalem. His next move is that he wants to bring the tabernacle, the tabernacle into Jerusalem. So let's just read this, chapter 13, verse 3. He says, let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. As we know, Saul didn't seek the Lord and the, the tabernacle was just out, out, out and about. But David wants to bring it into Jerusalem. Now, what is the tabernacle? You may not know what the tabernacle is. The tabernacle was a special tent where God dwelt. When God brought his people out of Egypt in what's called the Exodus, they all lived in tents and they were on the move. And so God's tabernacle, God's sanctuary was a tent as well. And so God dwelt in that tabernacle. There was, a, there was special rooms. He's pre, he, was, he was present in it in a very real way and he dwelt amongst his people. And so David now wants to bring that tent, that tabernacle into Jerusalem. 
But it doesn't work. When he tries to bring it in, what happens is uh, it's, it's on a special cart and the, the cart is bringing in the, 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 the bits and pieces of the ark in particular of the tabernacle. And the, the, tabernacle, sorry, the, ark, the, the cart almost falls over and a man who's not a Levite stops it from falling over, which you think would be a good thing. But you see, David hadn't got the Levites to do their job. He wasn't bringing it in the way it was meant to be. And so God's wrath broke out and they couldn't bring the tabernacle in. The next time, David goes and consults the Levites and he finds out the right way of doing it and he brings the tabernacle in, he establishes it in Jerusalem and so Jerusalem now has the king, it has the word of God, it has the worship of God. And then in chapter 16, have a look in chapter 16, we get one of David's psalms. And you, you read this psalm in the book of Psalms. And here is David. And have a look at chapter 16, verse 7. It says, that day, this is after he set up the, the tabernacle, that day David first committed to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks to the Lord. And so here we see David setting up other people who are going to look after the psalms and, he, and David leads the nation of Israel in worship. So here we see the Messiah establishes the dwelling place of God and leads God's people in the worship of God. And so that's what this psalm does here. It's the Messiah King leading God's people in worship and setting it up as for the pattern to come with Asaph and the others. And we read about Asaph, if you're familiar with the Psalms, you'd know Asaph's name comes up a fair bit. Well, David set Asaph up for leading God's people in worship. Now, why has David done this? Why has David made Jerusalem and then taken the tabernacle of God, the presence of God, and brought it into Jerusalem? Well, it's because he wants God to be at the centre of the life of God's people. That's what he wants. He just doesn't want the king to be there. He's saying, no, I don't want there to be a division so that people are going elsewhere or whatever it is. I want people to, to be right. I want people to see that the Messiah himself, that the king of Israel himself, worships God. And I, want, I want the worship of God to be at the centre. I want God's word, which was taught from the tabernacle, to be the centre of God's people. I want it to be the centre of the nation of Israel. Now, what's the centre of your life? What is the centre of your life? We all have many concerns and struggles in our life, don't we? We've got things that consume our time. Uh, we have to work, and our work can take up a lot of time. My wife works, and it takes, works as a teacher, and takes up an awful lot of her time. We have our children who can take up a lot of our time. But ultimately, the centre of our life has to be God. That's it. The, the, the capital city in your life has to be the worship of God and his word. And that's what David did here. David set up Jerusalem as the place where the word of God goes out and the worship of God is established. 
for those of us who are leaders, we need to be doing the same type of thing as David. We need to be establishing the word of God as the center. We need to be establishing this, the, the, the worship of God as what is central in our lives and in our teaching to be encouraging and pointing that way to others. And so we see here that for Israel, now that they've come back from exile, what are they being told about how they're going to fulfill their role as God's nation in the world? Well, they're told the story of David. They're told to go back. Who are you, Israel? Remember David. Remember David. This is what Israel needs to remember, that David set up the worship of God, the word of God. It was the Messiah King who did this. Now, in time, David wants to build a temple for the Lord. So let's have a read, chapter 17. <clears throat> chapter 17, verses uh, 1 to 2. <clears throat> David came, uh, sorry, after David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am in a palace of cedar, while the Ark of the Covenant, that is, this is the most important part of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan replied to David, whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. And so David decides to build a, a temple, a permanent building for, for, for God to dwell in. But what's interesting is verse 4. The prophet Nathan, uh, sorry, verse 3. That night the word of God came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. Now, how do you think kings normally go when they're told no? Right? They normally don't like it, do they? But here we have someone coming up to, to David and saying, God says no. You can't, you're not going to do that. Now, I think most of the time we want God to say yes to us. But sometimes God says no. And in this case, he says no to David. He, he, uh, we, we are encouraged to pray to God and know that God always hears our prayers and he answers them his way, but he may not answer them our way. And on this case, God says no to David. You're not going to do it. We're going to see how it is done for David in a moment. When Saul was told no about things, he just went ahead and did things anyway. Right? When Saul was told wait, just wait, wait your turn, it's going to happen. He went, well, no, I'm going to go do it my own way. So David's not like that. He's not like Saul. God says no to, to David. And David says, okay. Now, the reason that is given, we, we read a before. And that is, it says, uh, God says, because David is a man of blood. Man is a, uh, David is a man who has, has got much blood on his hands. And so he's not fit to build a temple, a dwelling place for God. I find this actually very real and authentic. I find it really very real and authentic. Um, the Bible certainly has, it certainly commands warfare on some occasions and it records all types of violent acts by different people. 
But we must not think that it gives an unqualified approval to this. At the most crucial time when God's tabernacle is to be made, the men of blood are told, you're not involved. God's war, you know, it's not an unqualified approval of warfare. David is not the one who is going to make the, the temple for God to dwell in. It goes on in chapter 17. Look at verse 11. It says, God says to David, when your days are over and you go to be with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. One of your own sons, I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. So while David is going to, as we'll see, prepare for the temple, as a man of blood, he cannot establish how God and man dwell together. It's going to be his son. And this son, as we read here, is going to be this unique son. God will be his father and he will be the son of God. So here we see this idea of the Messiah King being the son of God and God being his father. He's going to rule over the kingdom of God. And so what begins with David, you see what's been happening in David's life is the pattern for what's going to be happening in the future. God makes his covenant with King David and David's son is going to rule over a kingdom that's going to last forever. And so we have what begins with David is going to continue forever through this covenant. Last week we looked at God's covenant with Abraham and how important that was. This week we are introduced to the covenant God makes with King David. That through David there will be this Messiah King who will establish where God and man dwell. Now, uh, the, the story of David's life continues and uh, we, we see that he's given victories and he actually establishes uh, his government. Have a look at how David establishes his government. Chapter 18, verse 14. Just have a look at this and you'll see how Israel under David is now established like the nations of the world. So it says, David reigned, so uh, 1 Chronicles 18, verse 14, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Joab, son of Zariah, uh, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of uh, Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, son of Atihub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were priests. Shavshah was secretary. Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, was over the Kerethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were chief officials at the king's side. Now, you notice there's all the, the official positions of state. There's the generals, the recorders. There's all the different people. Israel has been established as a nation under David. It's David who puts it in, on the map with, with its capital and, uh, and it's all the infrastructure to run as a nation um, um, equal to anything in the world. 
In chapters 18 to 20, we read about the nations around David being subdued and conquered when they rise up against him. Chapter 21 is an interesting one because it's David's sin. It's David's sin. David's been having military success and now we see David's pride and his sin. Chapter 21. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, Go and count the Israelites from Bathsheba to Dan. Then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. Now, this may not sound like a big deal to you to, to take a census. We just did the census recently, didn't we? And you might think, okay, is God against the census? No, filling out census? Well, no, it's because for David, when he's taking a census, he wants to know the size of his army. He wants to know the size of his army. It's a little bit different because as God's king, he was to put his faith in God. He was to inquire about God on these matters. He's not to go saying, I want to know my troops so that I can start making my own plans. I can start doing whatever, you know, I can know where I can stand and whether or not I should engage with that nation or not because I know what my numbers are. Uh, he was just meant to go to God and God would speak to him and tell him these things. And so he's actually committed a serious sin here. And, as a res and, and, and it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, this is one of the few times we get Satan mentioned in the Old Testament. He's, he's mentioned a few times. But when I was thinking of this, how Satan has come and tempted da David this way, it reminded me of Jesus in the desert when he's taken out as the, the Messiah. And he, he's got his own questions that the devil puts before him to see how he will answer. But David fails this test and God's judgment comes upon the nation of Israel. In chapter 22, verse 1, as this judgment of Israel, that this wrath of God comes and there is death brought on Israel, instead of David bringing life to the Israelites, he actually brings God's judgment and death upon them. Now, that's not what a Messiah is meant to do. He's not meant to bring judgment and death. He's meant to bring life to them. And we see that God instructs David to go to a certain place to offer a sacrifice. And so in chapter 22, verse 1, then David said, the house of the Lord God is to be built here. And so the altar of the burnt offering, sorry, and also the, off, the altar for the burnt offering. And so David has to turn aside God's wrath by offering up a sacrifice. And the place in which he does it within Jerusalem becomes the place that they're going to build the temple. So how is it that they decided to build the temple where they did? Well, it was the place where atonement was made, where God's anger was turned aside. That is the place where God will dwell with his people. Now, we're almost at the end of, the, of this summary here. The final thing that we read about with David is that he makes preparation for the temple, preparation for the building of the temple. And I just want you to have a listen to this. And as I read it, I just want you to think, does this remind you of anything else? Okay, so chapter 22, verse 14. David's provided the, the, the city for the, for, uh, the, for the capital of Israel. 
He set up all the infrastructure. He's now got the location for the, for the temple. And now we'll read from verse, um, where are we? Verse 14. He says, I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too, great to be weighed, and of wood and of stone. And you may add to them, you have many work, many workmen, let me just check over here, many workmen and uh, stonecutters and masons, masons, carpenters, as well as skilled men of every kind of work in gold, bronze, iron, silver, craftsmen beyond number. And so David provides for all the, the, for all the wealth and the, the materials that are going to be needed to build the tabernacle. Now, I just want you to, to think about this for a moment. David's actually making some pretty big changes here. He's taking Israel from a tabernacle which Moses instructed. You go back and read the Old Testament, which David would have read, you know, the book of Exodus, and David's saying, we're going to get rid of that. We're going to make something new. On what grounds can he do that? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Changing the tabernacle is actually a pretty big deal. You are coming along and saying everything that Moses said, all of that, we're going to do something new. See what's being demonstrated here? The Messiah can change the way in which God dwells with his people. Now, there's a few verses. Now, this is the whole book of Hebrews that we're talking about here. But just have a look at chapter 23, verse 6. David provided, uh, sorry, David divided the Levites into groups corresponding to the sons of Levi and Gershom. So David is now instructing the Levites in the way that Moses instructed the Levites. And then look at chapter 28, verse 12 and 19. Uh, and so right throughout all this section now, we've got David dividing up the Levites to do different things, and he's, he's making plans for what's going to happen in the future. Look at chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse... Uh, sorry, chapter 28, verse 12. Sorry, 28, verse 12. He gave, he gave them... He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple and all the surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries for the, de for the dedicated things. And then verse 19, all this David said, I have, sorry, all this David said, I have in writing from the hand of the, for the hand of the, sorry, I'm not reading very well tonight. All this David said, I have in writing from the hand of of the Lord upon me, and he gave me instruction, he gave me understanding in all the details of the plan. So the tabernacle, sorry, the temple when it's built, it's actually built by David acting as a prophet, being given the plan of it. Now the last time we heard about the plan was with Moses. Remember, Moses was given the plan for the tabernacle. So here we see that. Not only can the Messiah change how God dwells with his people, but the Messiah is the prophet like Moses. He's given the plans like Moses on how God's people are to dwell with God. So there's some 
fairly big things being demonstrated here. The Messiah can change how God's people dwell with God. And the Messiah is the prophet like Moses who receives the instructions for this and the plans for how it is meant to be done. So to conclude this section about David, what is Israel? Well, Israel is God's chosen people to speak to the world. And how are they going to speak to the world? They're going to speak through their Messiah King. Their Messiah King who will be from the descendants of David, that covenant. It's all going to be based around Jerusalem. That's going to be the centre of the way Israel will speak to the world. And it's going to be particularly through the activities of the temple, of the tabernacle and the temple. Now, just to finish up quickly now, I want to tie it together with Jesus. Because when Jesus comes, what does he say in John chapter 2, verse 19? He says that his body is the true temple. He says, I've come to destroy this physical temple and to, and to, to make a new temple. And the temple that he spoke about was the temple of his body. You see, in Jesus, we have the perfect dwelling of God with his people. When God takes to himself a human nature, we actually have the perfect temple of God dwelling with his people. And as we're united to Christ, we're brought into the very presence of God. Jesus is that perfect union of God and man. Jesus is that perfect temple. He is the Messiah bringing the true everlasting temple, that, that, that resurrection kingdom, that resurrection temple. And when Jesus makes this change, when Jesus makes the change from the physical temple to the temple of his body, I hope you can see now that that's what the Old Testament said the Messiah would do. The Messiah can change how God dwells with his people. It's not that when the Christians come along and say the temple's gone and there's a new temple, that that's a novelty. Christianity is not a novelty. It's actually based in the prophets before Jesus. Jesus is, is the prophet like Moses. Have a listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Have a look at how he, he talks about his ministry. And hopefully when I was reading out about David providing those things that you thought of this part of, of 1 Corinthians. Listen to Paul. Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any other foundation than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. You notice how the Apostle Paul speaks about his ministry. He's referring to the stories of David and how David built the tabernacle. Now, this is how we do things as a church. What is it that we're meant to be doing as a church? Well, we're meant to be building the temple. The temple, which is God's people. What was Paul doing? He was evangelizing. He was sharing the gospel with people. He was discipling people and maturing them in their faith. That's the gold, silver, wood, hay, and everything that he's talking about. And this is the how for us. We have our Messiah King, our Lord Jesus Christ, who leads us in God's ways, who leads our worship, who's gone before us in the worship of God. And we're to be busy 
in following him and building the temple of God too. It's not a temple of stones and buildings around us. It's the temple of people being united to Christ, the true temple. And so in in the New Testament, it speaks on several occasions as the church, as the temple of God, that God dwells in us by his spirit. And so our ministry to each other, our sharing of the gospel, is how we build the temple of God. It's how we fulfill what Chronicles is about. It's how we speak to the world. So to conclude... This book of Chronicles speaks to Israel, but it speaks to us. It says, you people of God, you are the people of God. God has chosen you to be his people in this world. And how are we to do that? Well, we look to the Messiah. We look to the one who establishes the true worship of God. We look to the one who establishes how God dwells with his people. We do this as Christians by telling people about Jesus by making them disciples in Jesus' name, by helping them to put their faith in him, be united to him, so that the temple he brings, the presence of God that he brings is for them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for the way that you spoke to your nation Israel, reminded them who they were, and that you remind all of us that how we are to be engaging with this world is through your Messiah, through your temple, through the way in which you have established to speak to this world and the way that you've acted and be known to all people. And Father, we just pray that we will be a great witness for you to this world, the glory of you and your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.